Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Hospitality Mavericks podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders and entrepreneurs in the hospitality industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's podcast, we'll be talking with one of the best restaurant and cafe profitability experts, Ivan Brewer. Ivan has spent over 25 years in the hospitality industry, from restaurants to cafes, bars to pubs, catering companies to hotels. If it's in the world of hospitality, Ivan has probably done it. Ivan is the founder of Restaurantology, an Australian-based company that steers cafes and restaurants towards profit. He's a strong believer that the hospitality industry is deserving of a new approach, and we agree with him. We were very fortunate to sit down with Ivan and hear his thoughts on the industry, including key challenges, the role of technology and how third-party food delivery platforms are affecting the industry and how operators can achieve better profit. Welcome to Hospitality Maverick Podcast, all the way from down under. Hello, and very, very, very pleased to be here. So thank you very much for going on the podcast, and we're really excited about having you here and having a chat with you, and there's so much to cover so, so let's kick off with you share your story on your journey in hospitality and where are you now and what is it that you're doing that's shaking up the industry? Sure. Um, I think probably fairly typical to the industry. I've, I've had many experiences kind of in and out. I'd, I'd say I almost fell into the industry. It wasn't really a conscious choice. Um, I've always loved being around people. I've typically had a, a sporting background. Um, started off in a in a cafe in Auckland, of all places, in New Zealand, um, and gradually worked my way over the following twenty five years through every aspect of hospitality, from you know sort of six star hotels with Gridian service, all the way to you know super high fine dining to huge big pubs that would do a hundred thousand dollars on a Friday night, run you know uh, large groups of of restaurants, cafes, you name it, pretty much everything, every aspect of the industry I've had the pleasure to be involved in. So I know that you like to talk about profitability and you have a business that's helping, you know, restaurant or hospitality owners improving profit. Can you tell us a bit about that and what your approach is to that? Sure. I I guess a large part of my focus in the industry has been one as an as an operator, really wanting to understand what are some some governing theories, what are some things that unite the way in which we can make sense of this crazy and frenetic and, and chaotic industry. Because as, as you know, it is this industry in which so many things are happening at the same time, it's really, really difficult to be making the right decisions. And I'm a, I'm a big lover of people. I, I think that staff have a, a fundamental role um, in the success of hospitality. And I'm really saddens me over the, the last several years where more and more what we hear is that People abuse staff. They don't get paid appropriately. They don't have their entitlements paid. They're, in Australia, their super is withheld. And people are actually making their businesses profitable by doing the wrong thing by their staff. And and for me, it's really been about, to me, I think all of the root causes and, and what we find in hospitality derive from a lack of profitability. So I think if we, I don't think that inherently everybody's wrong. You know, they're not evil people. They're, not, they're people that uh, I find themselves in a position in which they're having to either choose to close the doors, 
or to do the wrong thing by their staff. And I think if we can address the profitability, then I think that we can create an industry that thrives. And in Australia, we rely very heavily on our tourism industry, but the majority of our businesses are struggling. So we can't have a thriving tourism industry as well as having, we need to have a, a thriving hospitality industry as well. So for me, my focus is on understanding what it is that's unique to each individual restaurant. I'm very, very passionate about the fact that we, we can't use you know, governing benchmarks, we can't use one size fits all approaches that we need to understand what happens in an individual restaurant and we need to design that restaurant to be profitable from the ground up from its fixed costs onwards. And it's, it's something that I've enjoyed when I was working in um, in operations and it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. I want to be able to, to literally help as many people as I possibly can to enjoy success and then the benefits that their staff enjoy and then the local community enjoys on the back of it. So, so what I can hear you saying is that uh, people, food and customers is somehow been forgotten in all this uh, hunt for short-term profitability. And it's, it's about changing the mindset to achieving greater profit, but also impact than uh, just like going for squeezing the lemon in a way. Is that correctly understand? Yeah, I think I think a lot of what I see is, I think that in the industry today, what we're finding is that you know, good service from a customer perspective, like if you enjoy good service and have good quality food, indeed a restaurant, for example, can be very, very busy and actually be going out of business. So I think now we're, we're finding with the, you know, big escalation in costs. Um, I think it's something that's it's occurring in the UK, it's happening in the US, it's been happening over in Australia for nearly 20 years where rents are just completely unsustainable, employment costs are very high, the purchase costs are very high and we've lost the the skill or the knack I don't, I don't even know. To be honest, I'm not sure that we ever had it. I think we just started off a restaurant. You could have great food, great service, and you would do well. And that's just not something that can happen anymore. So if we don't design the context the right way, I think it almost doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to be successful. But if we can address that element and then we can build on the on the people elements, then it's something that the business can absolutely thrive and everybody involved in it can benefit from it. So, so, so what you're saying is that you need to actually take each individual unit or operating restaurant and actually create a model that creates profit for that one. You need to design everything differently you cannot just take things and put it in a copy machine because there's been in the uk and i know the same in australia and the us a global level that's just been hospitality businesses that's been scaling because they got the first one right and then, then they scale that model uh, and now we're seeing some of the consequences of it and as you write there's something there's a lot happening in the uk over here right now there's pretzo uh, in the media there's jamie byron and many others uh, they're in trouble and now they are restructuring their businesses and uh, and it's really challenging time for many of these bigger operators has scaled massively over the year. Absolutely agree. And I think I think there's quite a number of layers to that. I think that um, especially on publicly listed companies, I think that the activity, the, the money that's generated from opening new sites blurs the lack of profitability, profitability within the sites. And we've seen it over here in Australia with some really difficult times through our largest franchise group, the retail food group, where it seems to be that businesses are all, that these large franchise always are all about just opening up more and more. They're not actually about being successful because their franchisees are being successful. They're just wanting to open up as many as they can. And I, I really question the validity of that model now. I, I honestly don't think that something that works, you know, in Brighton is going to work in Milton Keynes. They're just completely different places. In Australia, something that works in Melbourne, why would it necessarily work in Brisbane? And I've, and I've seen franchises that have a 200-square-metre store down in Melbourne, and they're going to go and pop it in an 80-square-metre store in Sydney and expect that it's going to work. 
it just doesn't make sense, you know. So, and the very the origins of a franchise were actually more about making a choice that you either open up a store under management, and then you go and put this, you know, people in that store and manage it remotely, or you then look at a, someone who might have some local knowledge and passion, and you put them in the store, and then they run it better than you could. We've moved away from that, you know, by trying to standardize everything, which is sort of suited to the fast food industry and and suited to the quasi quick service restaurant. But they're not reflective of the local community. They're not reflective of local ingredients. You know, I just don't think this one size fits all approach works at all. And I've literally seen restaurants that are side by side, have different rents, different floor plans, different access points, different sizes. You can't run them the same way. They're just not the same business and trying to, which our, our industry has been addicted to applying the 30% rent, uh, 30% labor, 30% cost of goods model. Yet we don't really assess the fact that by pursuing that model in Australia, and I'd suggest globally that the hospitality industry is in the worst position that it's been in in 25 years. So blatantly doesn't work. So what you're also saying is that the, the, the times we're in now is not only run by forces from the outside. It's not in, we have a big talk about Brexit over here, there's political challenges, there's the economy in general, but you think exactly because of behaviors that's been happening within the industry for, for, for many, many years that has built up this, what we call the perfect storm here at Hospitality Mavericks, where you have rising costs, shrinking workforce, consumer under pressure, and also the need to actually adapt to technology very fast. Um, what is your, is it, is that your view as well? Uh, that it's actually not something the external forces have done, but actually something that's been created by the industry itself, by standardisation and so on. I agree with that. I mean, we've seen phenomenal growth in the industry in Australia. You know, when we sort of look about the the last time there was some semblance of profitability was around two thousand and eight, and we've you know we've gone from something like you know twenty odd thousand restaurants and cafes to forty two thousand. In only ten years, and it, and the the challenge with that is, is the actual total market has hardly changed. So we've got a huge number of businesses that have opened. They're all small little businesses, and and we're such a product of scale now in hospitality. We don't have, especially in Australia, we don't have this really consistent dining throughout the week. It's very much heavily biased towards just a couple of days, and we just don't have that scale. So if you don't have that sort of twenty twenty to thirty thousand dollar a week business, you've only really just bought yourself a job. And what frustrates me is so many of these businesses that you see close, like the chains that you mentioned, you could have looked at, you could have seen that happening. People inside of that business would have been opening stores with an expectation that those stores wouldn't be sustainable because it's just been all about opening. It's been absolutely crazy. So I think, yeah, now, now is, as you mentioned, the perfect storm. And I think it's, it's going to get worse. We're at the beginning of, of an incredible um, period of, of difficulty and, and something that food tech is not making any easier. That's not going to be the solution. In this, uh, in this perfect storm and turbulent times, is there a recipe to get this right? Is it like a, an unknown territory we're going into? We don't have the recipe for this. We need to create it maybe. I, I think we do have a recipe. It's something that I've probably spent the last decade um, scratching my head over, is trying to find that one unifying theory the challenge with the industry is that it can't be prescriptive it need, because each individual op- operation is so unique. But to me, it's kind of like baking a cake, right? So you know you're going to get a cake at the end, but if you don't get the mix of the ingredients and the right ingredients in the process, get them in the right order, do the right things by them, you're going to have a horrendous cake compared to a really lovely cake. And at the moment, it's like we're just throwing in these ingredients blindly and just hoping that you're going to get a nice cake at the end. 
So I think that the context of the overall is the same. So I know that there is a process, you know, so using the, the cake analogy, we know what we're going to do to go through the process when we're going to bake. It's just getting all of those little ingredients the right way. And that needs to be informed by the actual site itself. How much rent you're paying, you know, the, and we can build quite a lot of assumptions from understanding just what the rent is, what the size is, you know, what are your, what is your menu by making having this lovely sort of um, harmony within the actual restaurant, I think you can actually make the majority of restaurants really quite successful and certainly limit the the failure rate that we're experiencing at the moment. So, so the first step is actually starting your design of your your location from actually taking a view from the site you're actually acquiring from, and that's where you talk about the rent, uh, the you know the the customer group in that area, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Um, so many decisions that we make in hospitality have no real framework. You know, so we'll go to a we'll go to a chef and ask them to design a menu. Well, the menu could be absolutely anything. There is no context from which the the chef is to make that decision. But if we look at the fact that the rent might be this X amount for this restaurant to be successful, we need to make this certain amount of trade on a weekly basis. We have an idea of what our menu positioning might be. That means that we now need to serve. 80 meals per hour for 12 hours for us to be able to meet our profit targets. That then sort of informs us as to how many staff we need to have on the floor, how many staff we can afford to have in the kitchen, and then it actually informs what the layout should be. It informs whether it should be table service versus bistro style, what is our pricing strategy, whether it should be a lower price that sells a lot more often, or whether it should be a higher price and we try to get a higher yield, how, how long does the customer sit at the table, you know, so we're we wanting them to spend longer at the table, but they then spend more money, or do we sell that table much more frequently? So all of these little aspects are, are tools that you can play with. And then what I see a lot within restaurants is they're not built consciously, so they'll have lots of little ingredients, but they're just sort of in the wrong proportion or they're just in the wrong order. And ultimately, you then contrive this restaurant where it's basically un- unable to make profit. So, so would you say when you when you talk about a unit, we talked a bit about there's a recipe you start with focusing on that you take the view from the location and then you build your recipe of success from there. Is that different from running one profitable unit versus running a profitable multi-store operation? I'm a big believer in in a theme. I'm a, I'm a very big believer in a, a customer experience. It's something that I featured very heavily in my sort of career, where I was involved in some with some experience related venues, and I think they're incredibly important. And I think today, realistically, that's the only thing that you have as a strategic point of difference. Because at the end of the day, everyone can more or less access the same food. You know, there's no real, they can buy the same beverage. They're not really able to do anything unique one compared to the other. But the nature of the experience that they can deliver can be very unique and very powerful. So I think you can have a context within which all of the units are rolled in. I think that certainly as a multi-site, and I've run multi-units myself, that they can be very successful. I just question the fact, and, and it's something that I've seen a number of times myself, is someone will have one unit that's worked really well, haven't really understood why that unit has worked, and then just gone out there and tried to roll out other units, and none of the other ones do work because they've just tried to base it on the same sort of framework that they thought happened in the first one. So I think you can have the same sort of units, but they might be bigger or smaller, or they might have slight differences that reflect the unique location or the culture that they're within. If you do that, I think that that can be very profitable, yeah. So so what you're saying as well is that when you're successful, you also have to stop up and ask yourself, why, why, why was I successful with this 
specific first unit because I agree with you. We've seen it numbers of times. Successful entrepreneurs build a food business and then they push the uh, copy button too quickly because they didn't understand why they were successful. And a lot of the time, I'm, I'm afraid to say that that success was been by blind luck. That they've got that first one right. Something about that has happened, but the way in which they've tried to leverage that and, and copy it, there's just been completely unknown. So they're just, you know, in a in a darkened room throwing trying to throw darts at a dartboard. They got no idea where they're going and trying to hit a decent sized number. And it's it is they they don't people don't understand they don't understand what is working within one and how it is that 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 can be reproduced. And if there's a very very good operator that I know of down in Melbourne and here in Australia, he's got a group of five restaurants and none of them are the same. They're all the the only way the only thing that's similar about them is that they're run by a very very sophisticated operator. So different themes, different offers, and they have a construct within which he operates. And they're incredibly successful restaurants. So we can have things that are varied and, and different, even within the same franchise. So you can still be having the same customer experience and the same promise, and having a lot of commonality in terms of the the product that's being served. But they don't. They can't be explicitly cut and paste. It just doesn't work. And you're even seeing some of the most successful chains in the world, like your Taco Bells, that they actually have a, a range of styles and themes. They're actually now they've been at the forefront of understanding how to run successful operations for decades. And they're even sort of been moving them into more suburban areas and adding licensing and understanding now that you can have a theme and a franchise, but we just need to sort of personalize it to the actual specifics of the location itself. We know often that the experience is often put second. That's my experience and that we talked about that before when you scale your business and what you put first is actually the, the nuts and balls, the, the easy bits to copy and do fast. You talked about the Melbourne operator. How how do you think he's been successful actually taking that unique experience across his restaurant and copying that? What is that? How do you do that? Because it's a bit invisible. The glue that really matters, but it's quite invisible and untangible. I think that it's really easy within the industry to forget about the customer. You know, I think there's there's so many sort of competing perspectives. I've worked in a number of restaurants. I'm sure you've seen plenty yourself as well that the designers will end up having this way. And, and literally there could have been one thing put a meter to the right and you would have just made life that much easier for everybody. I think there's a number of layers that lead to a successful customer experience. And the initial one of those is actually having an understanding of the, the functional operation the the construct again the actual cost construct is key because i think service relates to how much the business can afford to have because so we just threw 20 staff out there everybody could have fantastic service but nobody could afford that and they end up losing money and going out of business so i think that the actual construct itself needs to be implicit to that and then really a really good understanding of a theme and what's unique about the journey and what you're trying to communicate. And then from that, really seeing it from the customers and the staff's perspective. Because that's really key to be balanced, I think. I think that if it's purely just one way or the other, you can literally have staff running around like lunatics because they're just not able to function within this. I mean, I've seen areas that could be, you know, 50 or 60 steps to go from the pass in the kitchen to get out to a table and then you've got to, you know, run away over to a pot wash area. You could be literally losing five, six, seven minutes per table the staff just can't service that. It just doesn't make any sense. So I think there's there's physical hard elements and then I think there's lots of soft elements that come with that as well. But ultimately, it's determined by the cost structure because I'm very big on, on saying that the service that your restaurant can have can only be what it can afford. 
Just to come back to something you mentioned before, you talked about food tech or technology. And there's no doubt about there's a lot of exciting conversation about how technology may or somebody even go that far and say they, that will maybe save and transform the industry. What is your view on technology and uh, the way it can help both on the customer and the employee side in the sector? I think, yeah, I think it's a really interesting time. If I even reflect on back in 2010, 11, when I was, you know, really starting to get excited about food tech in Australia, there was something like three or four rostering softwares available in the market. At the moment, there's somewhere like 60. So they're, they're, they're absolutely ubiquitous. They're completely all over the place. And so a couple of the elements that I'm sort of observing is one, it's actually now becoming very difficult for the average operator within a restaurant who's very time poor and very stressed to know how to choose them. You don't know what is going to be the right one because I see so many absolutely outlandish claims being made by food tech, which are just blatantly untrue. They're really starting to hedge their bets. And I think we're now in a time, we've just entered a time in which food tech now occupy, occupies a very significant line in our P&L. It's very real money that's being spent. And there needs to be very real money either being saved or earned on the back of that food tech. And a lot of the claims are very questionable. The other observation that I'd make is that We've sort of discussed the fact that the rule of thirds, so your 30% labor, your 30% cost of goods, 30% profit, 10% overheads model is redundant. That, well, that was just a number that was made up that I don't, I've looked extensively within the research around the history, history of um, academia within restaurants and found no footprint whatsoever that reflects that anywhere. So it's just all imaginary. But a lot of food tech is actually adopting that as well. So the, the, the re now redundant mindset of the way that we used to run restaurants is actually polluting the mindset of the food tech that's coming to the market. So it's not actually in a position, it's not answering the right questions, I guess is the best way to, to summarize that. It's coming up with lots of answers, but it's not actually answering the right questions. And until we answer the right questions, we're not really going to make any difference. And to be honest, I think we're going to perpetuate and, and sometimes hasten the problems that restaurants experience. So if you were an operator out there, and I agree with you that in the day-to-day, -day, if you have to choose of all these, you know, 60 opportunities or offering stars, if you want to do scheduling or you want to do booking system, whatever it is, what would be your like, uh, would you have like a little five-step advice or three-step advice to say, go and do these things before you buy that technology product? I think experience is absolutely crucial within the hospitality industry. I think that You know, most of the people that I've seen that are the most successful are the ones that have been able to either be mentored and have great experience um, through other people that are very successful or they've they've basically failed and be able to come back. They've been able to get some incredible learning within the industry. So I think you really have to have a very refined understanding of what it is that you're looking for and a, a perspective that I would view decisions and something that I would encourage within the people that I work with or my staff is that the decision you make either needs to make you money or save money. Now, it needs to fit in with that that sort of construct. So which of those two things are going to happen? So when you hear really outrageous claims of um, table side ordering is just completely, you know, going by iPads, that's just completely revolutionary. Well, it's not, you know, rostering software is not a, a revolution. It's an evolution. It's just an evolution of what we were doing before. We were already doing that. We're using Excel templates. We just now got basically gone and put that Excel on, on the cloud. So none of these... Uh, I haven't seen any food tech that's particularly revolutionary at all. They're just a basic evolution to convenience. But if the right thing fits into the right model, then they can be, you know, very advantageous. The right table side ordering or the guest ordering themselves can have a, a positive effect on your labor. But there's also got the potential of it compared, you know, compared to a highly functioned restaurant, you're not going to get the same average check. 
because you don't have the customer assisted selling that you'll get from a staff member. So it's just trying to understand what's the right key. But I think rostering software is absolutely fundamental. If you, in any of my operations, I could tell someone I was reporting to, or I would expect from my managers to tell me on a day-by-day basis what their labor cost is in relation to their revenue. So I think the number one most important one would be the rostering. And then I think looking at the table booking software as well is crucial. We're now in a, a you know a micro sort of world where things need to happen very quickly. I find it hard to understand how businesses can make money on using platforms that gouge out of prices. So I personally don't use those or wouldn't recommend that they're being used, that some people might find them successful, but I don't. But I think some of the table booking software is very good. We need some form, some way to access the, the delivery and the online ordering market. We just need to be very, very careful about the decision that we make because very high commissions just, to me, seem incredibly unsustainable. Just now, you just touched on the delivery market. I just want to take the conversation towards that because that's one of the areas within tech that has grown significantly in the, the online delivery market, third-party delivery platforms such as Deliveroo, Uber Eats. Uh, and, uh, and what we have seen in the market is now that operators going out either jumping off these platforms or talking about that they're actually eating into their profit. What 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 is your view on these and what kind of, you know, do they actually have a part of the industry or is this just a short-term period where they're actually very, very popular and they are they going to go away again or is there a different life for them? I think there is a very legitimate market. I think we have a market that wants to have that experience. The way in which we're accessing the market, I guess, is the challenge. And the platforms, I, I think, are very problematic. I, I honestly can't, with my understanding of the numbers and I've, I've spent a lot of time um, looking at the numbers of, you know, of within businesses of every segment, I know that from my operations, I can't afford to give away 30 or 35% cut. That's just not possible. Nor can I for, afford customers that are wanting to come to me that I've earned, you know, I've paid for the marketing, I've given them the experience and they want to come to me, but they're then being funneled off through a platform and being forced to pay a commission. I'm then being forced to pay a commission on. So I find that's really very difficult. I think what is going to happen is that tech is being developed. I'm aware of some tech in Australia that's being developed to counter that more towards a subscription model which I think is is much more sustainable. I think it's happening in the online table table booking area. We were moving away from platforms and going to subscription models, similar thing going to the online ordering, and I think ultimately going to the to the delivery. So I think there we're at the very beginning of this conversation. And I think restaurants really need to understand I think it's it is a little bit of a fad to some extent because people are purchasing products online and having them delivered that are significantly poorer version of what they would have been in store. You just can't take a product that would have looked great on a plate three minutes out of the pass and in front of a, a customer and expect that to be the same quality product when it's you know delivered and handled you know 20 minutes away. So I think there's a lot of things restaurants could do to participate in that better. This has become a little bit of a fad, but I think it's a crucial part of the industry and I think that it will be Something that we've just kind of tacked it on to the end of a restaurant and a kitchen operation. Even the fact that we don't batch in delivery, they don't batch their orders. They don't look to collect them into a similar postcode or a similar region, for example. Kitchens are programmed to do batches to get all of the plates out to a table at the same time. So I think there's a lot of integration that we can look at that could be significantly better and then be able to service that market. But I think I would like to think that these platforms that are incredibly unsustainable will um, just be a short-term fad. 
Great, that's a, that's a very interesting view, and I I totally agree with you that there's going to be a revolution in that. And I, many of the people I work with talks about the the problem about the you're giving away money uh, instead of actually putting money in, in into your profit in the end. So before we end the podcast, we always have one question, and uh, we ask the uh, the people on the on the podcast. And if you can give only one and only one advice to someone starting their own hospitality business today, what would that be? I won't let it be don't do it. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people would be better off donating that money to charity than losing it within a hospitality business. I think it it, it really is a matter of um, consulting expertise. I think that the what I tend to see is people avoiding spending what come what amounts to very very small amounts of money at the right time at the beginning of these adventures that has huge huge consequences down the track. You know, someone might save five or ten thousand dollars on a kitchen renovation, you know, or a, additional equipment that might have saved them two thousand dollars a week in operating costs going forward. So I think it's a matter of make sure you have the right budget when entering into it, and don't try to cut corners, and make sure you have the right advice in the room. And if you have, because if you set it up the right way, your opportunity for success is significant. But if you set it up the wrong way at the start, there's nothing that you can do that will get you out of that hole. You've already determined your your fate. And it's coming back to the location and design of your your restaurants again. Exactly. Make the right decision. Have the right amount of money. <laughs> so I think when you try to make sure, you know, nice little lifestyle business, you're just buying yourself a job with really bad working conditions. And ultimately, in my experience, when when you work for yourself, the boss isn't necessarily the boss that you want to have. Because <laughs> when when you work for yourself, your boss can be quite unpleasant and unforgiving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes he doesn't tell you the truth as well. You're right. <laughs> you work a lot of hours. <laughs> good, good, Ivan. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, a really, really great conversation we had here. And I'm sure we're going to be speaking very soon again. I would look forward to it. It's been it's one of the true gifts. I think we connected via LinkedIn. It's one of the true gifts of of the the social and professional media that we can connect and then share share experiences from the other side of the world. It, it's absolutely outstanding, and it's been a real pleasure. That's all we have time for today. Thanks to Ivan for sharing his story and how to become a profitable operator. We hope you have enjoyed today's Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us on hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick.